Well, I trust that your heart is um, as mine this morning as we begin this new year together as a church, and that is just to excel still more. Uh, that is one of my favorite expressions in the scriptures, that excel still more. It's just a, a hopeful acknowledgement that we're not all that we used to be, right? Amen? We're not what we used to be, but we're, all, we're still not where we need to be all that we need to be, and so we need to continue to excel still more. And so the new year is just a natural time where we examine and we evaluate our lives, at least I do, um, and determine where we may be falling short in our lives and determine how we can uh, be more pleasing to the Lord. And I think it's typical for people to make resolutions about what they're going to do in the new year and how they're going to change in the, in the year to come. And uh, I think it's interesting when you consider the resolutions uh, that people make and, and what the main re- resolutions, there, there's, some, there's some pretty standard resolutions that, that people make. Uh, tell me if I'm not far off, the, off track here when uh, I, I suggest these resolutions, right? Some people resolve to use their time more wisely. Or maybe just to be on time, right? People say, oh, I'm going to be on time this year. I'm going to be punctual. Or, or they resolve to get out of debt. That's always a big one. If we're going to get out of debt this year. This is going to be the year. Or, or, you know, we're going to save up enough money this year to go on that dream vacation. And we're going to do it this year. And so it's about money. We make resolutions about money. Um, or maybe we resolve to take up some hobby that we've always wanted to, right? We've always wanted to learn how to paint. We've wanted to learn how to dance. We've wanted to learn how to play golf, and or maybe there's a particular skill or ability that you have that you've never developed as, as much as you would want to, and so you resolve, I'm going to spend more time playing the piano, I'm going to spend more time whatever, um, or how about this, resolving to spend more time together as a family, uh, maybe cultivating relationships with friends, that's a common resolution, or how about this one, probably survey says number one resolution is, I got to lose some weight. Uh, I got to get in shape, right? That seems to be the number one thing. That's why uh, there's lots of uh, news in the fitness world, and they know they capitalize uh, diet uh, companies. They they capitalize on this time of year. They know people are thinking about okay, fresh start. This is going to be the year I lose that thirty pounds or I whatever get in shape. And and uh, but have you noticed how all of these resolutions really relate to the most basic areas of our lives? When you think about what are the most basic areas of life, well, well it's our time, right? Our money, uh, the abilities that we have, our relationships, our, our health. So the question is, why is that? Why do we, why do we naturally resolve to, to, to grow and change and do better uh, in these areas? Well, I would suggest to you that there is a, a, a God-given sense in all of us that these are the things that matter most in life, And these are the things that God has entrusted to each of us, and we have a responsibility to use them wisely. We are what the Bible calls stewards. And a steward, in Bible times, was a servant or a slave who was entrusted with the responsibility to care for his master's household. And so his job was to oversee and manage the owner's uh, properties and the uh, the owner's affairs, uh, that included his house his finances, even his fellow slaves um, he would manage. Uh, Even sometimes when the owner was out of town, he would take care, be responsible to take care of his family, his wife, his his children, to make sure that they had everything that they needed, they were protected, they were provided for. And the master would eventually reward or punish the steward 
based on how faithfully he fulfilled his duty and his obligation. We know that Jesus told a number of parables that introduced and illustrated this vital spiritual concept of stewardship. And probably the most familiar of uh, the parables that Jesus told is the parable of the talents found in Matthew chapter 25. I want you to turn there this morning as we begin. We're not going to look in depth at this, at this uh, passage like we normally would. Um, normally, you know, we look at a passage and we look at it verse by verse and line by line and word for word. And this morning, we're going to do more of a topical study. And um, this is just a kind of a launching point here uh, to kind of set the scene, to set the context for what I want to talk about with you this morning regarding stewardship. Uh, here we find this very familiar parable of the talents. Uh, it's, it's within the context of Jesus' teaching on his return. This is what's called the Olivet Discourse in Matthew chapter 24 and 25. And so he's preparing his followers for his return and, and encouraging them to be ready for him to come back. And he could come back at any time. And so he's giving them these, these examples, these illustrations, these stories, these parables, uh, illustrating uh, what they should be doing while they're waiting for the master to return. And so here is one of those parables, the parable of the talents. It's Matthew 25, starting in verse 14. For it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and unto another one, each according to his own ability, and he went on his journey. Immediately the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more, but he who received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Also the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I have gained two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Now this story takes a turn for the worse. And the one also who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid and went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave. You knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scatter no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank. And on my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, we know that that parable is ultimately talking about uh, the difference between true servants 
and false servants, those who are faithful stewards and those who are unfaithful stewards. And the faithful stewards end up in heaven. The unfaithful stewards end up in hell. That's outer darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Again, just a reminder here, and this is not the point I want to make from this particular story, uh, but this is a good reminder that just because you uh, are part of the slaves, right, that you were given something from the Lord, um, not all slaves are true slaves. In other words, not everyone who, who claims to be a Christian is a Christian. Not everybody comes to church is going to heaven. That's the point, right? Um, you, may be, uh, you may look like you're part of the group, but the way you act, the way you live, uh, demonstrates uh, that you truly don't know the Lord. And here we have this one slave who obviously did not know the Lord because of his wrong perception of him, verse 24, Master, I knew to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed, and I was afraid. Well, that's no genuine relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, is it? Uh, He had a misperception of his master, a misperception of his Lord, and we find out later that he is rebuked, the scathing rebuke from the master, you wicked, lazy slave. You knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scatter no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank, and on my arrival I would receive my money back with interest and then ultimately throw this worthless slave out. That's no way that Jesus would ever talk about one of his own. Now, you don't, Jesus doesn't cast his own into hell. So the point was, right, he was never one of his own. Well, that's just a sobering wake-up call. Welcome to 2014, right? Just make sure uh, you're not that worthless slave, uh, that wicked, lazy slave. Really, the basic point, though, of this parable is not to waste what God has given you, but to make the most of it. In other words, be a good and faithful steward. And I don't know about you, but when I stand before God at the end of my life, there's nothing more that I want to hear him say is, well done, good and faithful servant. You done good. You done good. You were faithful. I mean, I don't know what else you could say that would make me happier, right? That would be a greater blessing than to hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, the question is, what can we do to ensure that that's what we will hear in the end. That when we won't hear this other, you wicked, lazy slave thing. We don't want to hear that. Well, how can we know for sure that we will hear the well done, good and faithful servant? Well, it comes down to one thing, one word. What is it? Faithfulness. Faithfulness. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2. Another familiar Verse, but if you don't have this underlined or highlighted in your Bible, this is an opportunity to do so. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, Paul says, Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. So Paul says, Hey, listen, consider me, okay, if you want to regard me as anything, regard me as a servant or a slave of Christ and a steward a manager of the mysteries of God. And then verse 2, here it is. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy, or as the NIV says it, that one be found what? Faithful. Faithful. And so as God's stewards, faithfulness is what He desires most in us and what He requires most 
from us. And so consequently, our heavenly reward will not be based on our fruitfulness, but on our faithfulness. Our reward in heaven will not be based on our productivity, but on our loyalty. Sometimes we look at at, uh, at other people, and we kind of compare what, what they have and what they've been given and their giftedness and, and the blessings that God's given them, and we're like, well, man, God hasn't given me that much. Um, well, you just need to realize it has nothing to do with what you've been given, right? Your return with what you've been given. It's what you're going to do, what you do with what you've been given, right? And it's not about productivity. Somebody who may have been blessed far beyond you, right, with more, say, financial resources, um, they're not going to get a greater reward in heaven just because they were more productive. In other words, they, whatever, were able to invest more money in the kingdom than you were. You, if you invested equally, right, with the, with the minimal means that you had. In other words, I, I, I think in, in to, to stretch the analogy of the mansions in heaven, right, that God is preparing a place for us to live, and we get this picture in our mind that we're going to live in mansions in heaven. It may be true. I don't know. But, but uh, I think that some of us who assume, you know, that, you know, godly gifted person who, you know, has done all these things for the kingdom of God, they're going to live, you know, in the high rent district in heaven, you know, and we're going to be down in the slum somewhere. I think that there's going to be some people that you've never even heard about that are going to be, have a, have a mansion right next to the people that we know, all know and love. Why? Because they were just as faithful. They maybe just didn't have as much. God didn't entrust them with as much, but they were as faithful, if not more faithful, with the little that God gave them. So the point is, uh, it's faithfulness. And this parable, uh, Matthew 25, along with the parable of the minas uh, in Luke 19, uh, which, by the way, both talents are mine and minas were, were um, uh, currency in that day. Uh, different types of money, different amounts of money, uh, certain... Um, uh, days' wages, months' wages. And that's why these passages, these parables, are usually interpreted and applied in regards to how we use the money that God has given us. Some even stretch it and they use the talents. So oh, the talents, well, we all have talents, right? You have skills and abilities and talents, and so they, they misapply, I think, that passage um, and, and, and make it mean something that God never intended. Um, I do think there is... Um, application, obviously, from these, these parables uh, about what it means to be a faithful steward when it comes to our treasures and our talents. But, but we need to understand stewardship involves far more than just what we do with our treasure and our talents. Stewardship encompasses every aspect of our lives, not only how we use our money, not only how we use our skills, but also how we use our time, how we use our bodies, how we use our relationships, and even how we use the truth that God has entrusted to us. And so we need to never view stewardship as, as just a kind of subcategory of the Christian life. Stewardship is the Christian life. I mean, this is what the Christian life is all about, is, 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 is that we're stewards. We're stewards. And if we want to do the Christian life well and, and live life, life done well, as I've entitled this message this morning, and, and to someday hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant, then it's important that we get away from this one-dimensional perspective of stewardship, which typically when you think of stewardship, you hear that word stewardship, that word's been used in the church a lot to describe kind of a, a building program. 
right? And you, we talk about stewardship campaigns, and we get in, the, in our minds this picture of a big thermometer, right, that's, that's tracking how much money we're raising for the, for the stewardship campaign. And so stewardship is about one thing. It's about how you use your money. But we need to adopt a multidimensional perspective of stewardship, and by that I mean that there's more to being a faithful steward than just managing our money. It involves a number of critical areas in our lives. And I think we could, we could categorize our lives uh, into six major areas that require faithful stewardship or faithful management. These areas are, include our time, our treasures, our talents, our temples. Uh, you've probably heard of those four T's before when, when you hear about stewardship, right? Stewarding our time, our talents, and our treasure, and even our temples, our bodies. And I, I wanted to add two more this morning. Uh, that to really round this thing out, and that is how we steward our tithes, T-I-E-S, not our tithes, our tithes, that was a, the only T word I could come up with uh, to describe relationships, okay, our family ties, our church ties, um, talking about relationships, um, and then finally, how we steward the truth, how we steward the truth. And so this has been very convicting for me personally to study these things this week, because um, it's forced me to examine my own life and to evaluate my life uh, to, to see how I'm doing uh, in these areas. And uh, of course, as I was looking at the subject of stewardship, uh, these, these, um, this multidimensional perspective kind of came out of Scripture um, that, that really surprised me, especially uh, the last two, the, the whole idea of stewarding relationships and stewarding the truth, stewarding the gospel. And so, I'm just going to be honest with you this morning, after looking at these six spheres of spiritual stewardship, uh, I don't know that I'm doing any of these very well. Um, I'm doing them, but I'm not doing them very well. And uh, I don't know that I'm using my time very well, or managing my money very well, or using my gifts and abilities very well, or... Taking care of, I know I'm not taking care of my health very well. Okay, I know that. Um, um, not nurturing or investing in relationships in your family, your marriage, your children, um, the, the people that God has put in your sphere of influence that you can disciple, your grandkids, um, you know, your, your, the men and women in your life that uh, God has called you to, to pour your life into. Um, and, and then, of course, being faithful to share the gospel. I don't know that I'm doing that very well. I mean, I do it well behind this pulpit, but that's easy. It's easy to share the gospel here. It's a lot harder to share the gospel out there with your neighbors and your friends and your, the people that you run into. And so I want to encourage you this morning as we just take a moment to look at these, these spheres of spiritual stewardship to, to do an honest self-examination. Just evaluate and, and see how you're doing. This is like kind of a, a, a checkup, a spiritual checkup this morning as we begin the new year. And uh, maybe from uh, this message, you may um, realize you've got to make some resolutions. You've got to make some commitments. You've got to make some changes with the help of Christ uh, to be more pleasing to the Lord. And so let's look at these. And again, uh, this is going to be more of a Bible study this morning. It's not normally what I do, uh, but we're just going to look at some verses. I'm just going to read them and talk about them and move on. And uh, this would be, it'd be very helpful if you did have that outline that I provided in the back because there's a lot of verses that uh, you might um, not have time to write down or you might get behind as we're looking through these things, it'd be helpful for you to have that outline so you can reference these verses later 
Um, and there's some application questions as well that will help you put into practice the things that we're going to learn this morning. But let's look first of all at how we're stewarding our time. How we're stewarding our time. And this is talking about you know, the hours, the days, the months, and years that God has given us. How are you using those hours and days and months and years that God has given you? Let's begin by looking at Psalm 39. Psalm 39, verses 4 and 5. And again, don't necessarily try to keep up. You might just want to write these down and just listen real carefully. But if you want to try to look with, with me, you can. Psalm 39, verses 4 and 5. David writes, Lord, make me to know my end, and what is the extent of my days? Let me know how transient I am. Behold, you have made my hand, my days as handbreadths, and my lifetime as nothing in your sight. Surely every man at his best is a mere breath. And so David is just acknowledging here the transitory nature of life, that we're here today, gone tomorrow. And life is short. Life is quick. And uh, we need to make sure that, that we recognize that, um, that, that we don't live foolishly. And that's what Moses says in Psalm 90. If you want to turn over to the right, just a few chap- chapters there. Psalm 90. Uh, here Moses is talking about the transitory nature of life. Psalm 90, verse 10. Moses says this, As for the days of our life may contain 70 years, or if due to strength, 80 years. In other words, most people live to, to around the ages of 70 or 80, right? Um, Yet their pride is but labor and sorrow, for soon it is gone and we fly away. Talking about our death. Who understands the power of your anger and your fury according to the fear that is due you? So teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. In other words, Lord, teach us to, to, to get, just help us to get the fact that our days are numbered, that we don't have tomorrow promised to us. We have a certain amount of days that you've ordained for us to live. You've ordained the day of our birth, the day of our death. We don't know how many years is in between there. Um, God doesn't give us all the same amount of time, but uh, whatever time he does give us, it's the time that he's ordained for us. It's, a, it's enough time for us to accomplish what he's called us to accomplish, and that we need to present to you a heart of wisdom. We need to live wisely. We just need to be smart and not, and not waste time, not waste our lives, um, because our lives are fleeting. And so we need to make the most of every moment, every, every second, every minute counts um, from God's perspective. And we'll see this principle carried into the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 16, Paul writes this, Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Now, he's not talking about how you walk, literally walk down the street. He's talking about how you live your life. He says, hey, be careful how you live. Don't live foolishly, but be wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. And so there it is, very straightforward in verse 16, Ephesians 5, 16, we need to make the most of our time. We need to, to, to steward well the time that God has given us and uh, to take advantage of, of every second, every hour, every day, every month, every year that the Lord provides for us. And so ask yourself, how are you doing with your time? Um, have, you ever, have you ever thought about budgeting your time? We talk about budgeting our money, right? 
And we all have a budget. I hope you have a budget where you kind of say, okay, this is, what, this is how much money I take in every month and this is how I'm going to spend it. And you keep track of how you're spending your money, right? That's good financial management. How about doing that with your time? And if you feel like, man, maybe I'm guilty of wasting too much time. I, I spend way too much time on YouTube watching all these videos that don't matter, right? And they're just interesting, and, but I waste all this time. I look up and, I, and I've just killed an hour that I didn't have, right? Um, well, maybe what you can do is maybe just for the month of January, keep a, some legal pad or some however you keep notes and, and just keep track of, of, of every maybe hour of your day. And do that for a few weeks and just kind of just look and see where your time's going and what you're spending your time doing and how much time you're at work and how much time you're with your family, how much time you're spending in God's word and in prayer, how much time you're spending serving in the church. And, and at the end of the month, you might say, you know what, I need to really, st- I need to spend less time doing that. I need to spend more time doing that um, because you just see kind of where your time's going. And so again, that would just be a, a simple exercise or homework assignment to make sure you're being a, a good steward of your time. How about your treasures? How are you stewarding your treasures, the, the material resources that God has given you? Um, I love what um, Moses said in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 16 and 18 about wealth. Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, excuse me, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 16. Moses said, In the wilderness... God fed you manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to to do good for you in the end. Otherwise, you may say in your heart, my power and my strength, the strength of my hand made me this wealth. Verse 18, but you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth. In other words, um, None of us can ever take any credit, any glory for what we have because it all belongs to God. He gave it to us, right? He entrusted it to us. It's all his. And we wouldn't have it if he hadn't chosen to give it to us. And so we need to remember, I think stewardship begins just recognizing that everything I have, nothing I have belongs to me. Everything I have belongs to God including myself, including this body, this shell, this flesh that I live in. It belongs to God. It's not my own. And so God blesses us with money and material resources and possessions, and then he, he encourages us to make sure that we wisely invest those things. Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, a familiar passage from the Beatitudes, the sermon, or excuse me, the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. In other words, don't hoard all this stuff uh, here on this earth, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. In other words, uh, when you just hoard stuff here on this earth, it's all temporary. It's all going to burn. It's all going to be destroyed at some point, right? But if you lay up treasures in heaven, right, uh, those are eternal. And then verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So the question is, where's your heart? Is your heart here in the things that you own, the things that you have, or is your heart in heaven because you're laying aside treasures in heaven because you're investing your resources that God has given you uh, in heavenly things, in spiritual things, in, 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 in building his kingdom. 
We have a, an example of a guy who didn't steward his, his wealth well. Luke chapter 12, here's the story of the, the foolish rich man. In, in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, Beware, Jesus said, and be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. In other words, you know, you've seen the bumper sticker, you know, he who dies with the most toys wins. I like the bumper sticker that says, he who dies with the most toys still dies. <laughs> the point is, right, it's not about how much stuff that you acquire in your lifetime. And Jesus went on and told this parable. He said the land of a rich man was very productive. So God blessed this rich man with his bumper crop, and, and, and he already had plenty. Uh, he was already rich, already wealthy, but then God decided to bless him even more. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? I got more than I know what to do with. Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. And so this guy didn't even think once to acknowledge that God was the one who gave him all that to begin with. Number two, he didn't think about how that might have been given to him so he could serve others and help others. It was all about him and, and how it could benefit him. And so he wanted to kind of set himself up to live this cushy, easy life where he could just kind of eat, drink, and be merry and wouldn't have a care in the world. Verse 20, God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you've prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And so don't be that guy, right, who, who makes it all about him, right, and, and stores up treasures here and not uh, in heaven. And then Luke 16, uh, we're right there, Luke 16, just turn over a couple of pages to the right, Luke 16, verse 9. Jesus said, make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness, that's just another word for money, so that when it fails, then they will receive you into the eternal dwellings. He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much, and he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth or money, who will entrust the true riches to you? And if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? Just a reminder that you're using God's money, not yours, right? Um, and so you need to ask him, "How, Lord, you've given me this. How do you want me to use this? And then verse 13, no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and what? And money. So again, just some verses to be thinking about. How are you stewarding your treasure? And ultimately, it's the material resources that God has given you, right? How about your talents? How about your talents? How about the gifts, the skills, the abilities that God has given you? How are you stewarding those? How are you using those? How are you managing those? Look back at Exodus chapter 31. Exodus 31, this is one of those uh, passages that you might just breeze over as you're looking, uh, you kind of get lost in all the detail of the tabernacle and all the measurements and the sizes and the types of metal that were to be used and the type of wood and, and uh, it kind of becomes all overwhelming. And I would, if I was Moses, I'd be like, whoa, God, this is a, an amazing structure that you're wanting us to build. But 
this is out of my league. This is beyond my pay grade. I don't have any of the, the gifts or skills or abilities to do this. Well, check this out in Exodus 31, verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and understanding and knowledge and all kinds of craftsmanship to make artistic designs for work in gold and silver and in bronze and in the cutting of stones for settings and in the carving of wood that he may work in all kinds of craftsmanship. And behold, I myself have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan, and in the hearts of all who are skillful, I have put skill that they may make all that I have commanded you. I love that because that just tells us that God has given each one of us specific skills and abilities and gifts. And there's certain things that I can do that you can't do, and there's things that you can do that I'll never be able to do. I'm a little jealous when I compare myself to guys you know, who are really good with their hands, like a, they're, they're like craftsmen and they, they like to work with wood or, or they're, just, they're just good at fixing stuff and building stuff. And man, anytime I pick up a screwdriver or a hammer in our house, my wife's calling 911 because you know, something's going to get broke, somebody's going to get hurt. I, just, I, I seem to mess up stuff more than I fix stuff and I make it worse. And so, but the point is that God has gifted us all differently. And he's given us all skills and, and abilities to, to be used for his glory, to accomplish his purposes. And you have that gift, you have that talent, you have that skill or that ability because God wanted you to have that to use for his glory and for his honor. And that's why uh, Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 10, he said, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. In other words, if this is what God's called you to do, if this is your thing, right, man, go for it. With all your heart, do it and enjoy it because this is the only time you're going to get to do it during this lifetime. And so make the most of it. Um, Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 and 24. This is more familiar territory now in the New Testament. You remember this. Colossians 3, 23. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. In other words, work with all your heart. Do whatever God has called you to do wholeheartedly and, and you do it for the Lord, not for him. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, it is the Lord Christ whom you serve. And so God has given you these gifts uh, to, to bring him glory and honor. And, and it's kind of like, um, uh, I'm, I'm forgetting his name here, the, the, the guy from uh, uh, Chariots of Fire. What's his name? Somebody's got it. Who's got it? Eric Little, thank you. Yeah, Eric Little uh, from Chariots of Fire. And my favorite scene in the whole movie is when they're up on this Scottish moor and his sister is, is concerned that he's kind of being drawn into this Olympic thing and, and, uh, and, and he's really kind of missing God's direction for his life, that he really needs to be on the mission field and, and he wants to go to the Olympics. And so he stops his, his little sister and appreciates her and says, listen, I, I, I get what you're saying, but God made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. And I love that because he was balanced. He said, yeah, I'm, I'll get there. I'm going to be a missionary. I've not lost the sight of the bullseye and my target to be a missionary. But listen, God made me fast for a reason. And when I run, I feel like I'm bringing him pleasure. And it makes him happy when I run. And so whatever it is, right, it may not be running for you. It's not for me. I can tell you that. I don't feel any of God's pleasure when I'm running. I'm feeling like, what am I doing, right? But whatever it is that you, that you sense that when you do that, God's you feel God's pleasure, then you do that. You go for it. Um, how about our spiritual gifts? The Bible talks about 
uh, that we're, we've all been given spiritual gifts to, to be used within the body of Christ, to build up the body of Christ. Romans chapter 12, uh, verse, th- uh, let's see, verse uh, 6, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith, if service in this serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. This is just one of a number of lists of, of spiritual gifts uh, that God gives each of us as believers. Some of you ha- have one of these gifts, you have two of these gifts, you might have multiple spiritual gifts, and they're not, they've not been given to you to show off, right, but, to, to, but to, to humbly serve the Lord and to build up the body of Christ so that ultimately God is glorified. I love First Peter uh, chapter 4, verse 10. As each one has received a special gift, employ it, use it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks, it's to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves, it's to do as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So how are you stewarding not just your skills and your abilities, the things that God's given you maybe to make a living, for example, but also how are you stewarding your spiritual gifts? And I'll just say this, if you are not serving somewhere in this church, then you are being a bad steward of your spiritual gift. Because God's given you a gift, and he wants you to use it for his glory and to build up this body to help it to be a well-rounded, healthy, mature, strong, like Christ group of people. So how are you stewarding your talents? How about your temples? How about your temples? This is, this is always the most convicting, right? How's it going with your, with your health? How's it going with your body and your mind um, that God has given you? Uh, we know that um, uh, Paul made this very clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 19, he says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own, for you have been bought with a price? Therefore glorify God in your body, right? Um, How about in that same context, 1 Corinthians 9, the notes say 8, that's a misprint, it's 9, 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 through 27 Paul loved this uh, athletic analogy, right? He loved to compare the Christian life to, to a race or to a wrestling match, to, to the Olympics. He says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises what? Self-control in all things. They then do this to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my what? my body, and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Paul's talking about self-mastery there. He's saying, I'm not going to let my body control me and all my cravings and desires that seek satisfaction all the time. I'm going to say no to my body. I'm going to discipline my body, and I'm not going to do the things that my body wants all the time and, uh, and so, so that I would not be disqualified. Um, how about... 1 Timothy chapter 4, we, we, we were familiar with this passage about disciplining ourselves for the purpose of godliness. 1 Timothy 4, 7, it says, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Verse 8, for bodily discipline is only of little profit, 
but godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So Paul was exhorting Timothy here to make sure he exercised discipline in his spiritual life, that he would grow and mature and become more godly. Um, for bodily discipline is only of little profit. No, notice he didn't say for bodily discipline is of no profit. He says it is a profit. It's just not as profitable as pursuing godliness. In other words, if you only have a certain amount of time on any given morning and you can either choose to have your quiet time or go out for a run, what should you do? Oh, come on, class. This is easy, all right? It says, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness, for a bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. I don't know if it's going to really matter how buff you were when you get to heaven. That's the point, right? You, you, we need to work on being spiritually buff, okay, and spiritually strong and healthy, but that doesn't mean we don't also need to invest time in making sure that we're spiritually strong and, and, and healthy. Interesting verse I came across, 3 John, 3 John, that's way in the back there before Revelation, 3 John doesn't even have a chapter, it's just 3 John, verse 2, here's the elder John writing to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth, beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. And so here was John uh, as, a, as a spiritually wise, godly man uh, praying that God would cause Gaius, his beloved friend, um, to prosper both spiritually and physically. And so, again, how are you stewarding your health? How are you stewarding your body and your mind? Now, this is, uh, this is an area, I think, that, that some people, especially in our culture, uh, kind of go from one extreme to the other. And uh, I think we have to be guarded here and and uh, we can, this, this, this being a steward of your temple can turn into idolatry really fast if you're not careful. In other words, you're all consumed with what you eat and what you don't eat and you're all about working out and your schedule and nothing can get in the way of that and you're very rigid and, and sometimes that becomes an idol, right? And it's all about how you look and how you feel and, and, and it's not about God's glory where the Bible says whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or run on a treadmill, right? Do all to the glory of God, right? It's all about God's glory, and how can I give him the most glory? It's not about bringing glory to myself. It's not so people go, wow, hey, look at those guys, look at that guy's apps, you know, or look at whatever. It's not about that, right? And so we got to be careful as we seek to be good stewards of our temples that we maintain a balance, a biblical balance, and we're doing everything we do, we do for God's glory and not our own. Number five is our ties, our ties or our relationships, specifically the families and the friends that God has given us. How are you doing with that? How are you doing with stewarding your relationships in your family and, and, and with your friends, your coworkers, your classmates? And I got a bunch of verses here, and we won't take the time to look at each one of them. I think they're all pretty familiar to you. I'll just, uh, just mention what, they, what they're talking about. Genesis 4, 9, uh, you remember when, when Cain and Abel had that falling out because uh, Cain was bitter and jealous at his brother because God had accepted his offering and not his um, and so he wanted to murder his brother, right? And so he did. He murdered his brother. He murdered Abel. And God shows up and he says, hey, where's your brother Abel? And what did Cain have the audacity to say? Am I my brother's keeper? In other words, is, is that my responsibility to know where my brother is all the time? And God's point was what? Yes, it is. 
You need to care about your brother. You need to invest in your brother. You need to serve your brother. You need to spend time with your brother. So the whole idea is that we have a responsibility uh, to our families, but also to our brothers, right, sisters uh, who are outside our family, particularly here in the body of Christ. How about the classic friendship in the whole Bible? Who would you say that is? Jonathan and David, right. Uh, 1 Samuel 18, verse 1, talks about how much Jonathan loved uh, David. And 2 Samuel 1, 26, talks about how David mourned when Jonathan was killed along with his father and how he said his, the, the love that he had with Jonathan was greater than any love he had with a woman. And, and, and his love was so strong, it's like even liberal theologians will say, well, look, they were homosexuals. You know, and we're like, oh, give me a break. He was just communicating how, how tight these guys were. And that they had an awesome friendship. They were, like, they were like blood brothers. And that they had covenanted with one another. And so they, they invested in that relationship. The Psalm 128 talks about how a man is blessed, right? And his wife is like a fruitful vine. And his children are like olive plants. And how he needs to invest in, in his wife and in his children. And so we talk about the importance of investing in family relationships. That applies not just to the husband. It applies to the wife, right? Ephesians chapter 5 Uh, 22, all the way through chapter 6, verse 9, talking about the relationship between a husband and wife and and what you can do to cultivate that relationship and nurture that relationship. And and then there's a relationship of the parent and the child and the child with the parent there in the beginning of Ephesians 6 and submitting to your parents and honoring your parents. And and then there's the parent investing and nurturing and discipling and mentoring the kids. And then you've got relationships with with bosses and employees and, 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 and employers and and, and how we should relate and invest uh, our lives in those relationships. Uh, I like how Paul in, Timoth- uh, Paul in 1 Timothy says this uh, in verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 1, Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father, to the younger men as brothers, the older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters in all purity. So Paul likens the family of God or the church of God to a family. And, uh, and those of you that are older than me, I'm supposed to treat you like a dad. Those uh, ladies that are older than me, I'm supposed to treat you like a mom. Those that are younger than me or my same age, I'm supposed to treat you as a sister. And those that are you, that guys that are my same age or younger, I'm supposed to treat you like a brother or a little brother. That's the way we're all supposed to think about one another in the body of Christ. And we have a responsibility, 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, guys, Paul said, entrust to faithful men, Right? What you've been taught, the things you've learned from me, and trust the faithful men who will be able to teach others. So you need to be investing, right, in the lives of those men around you. Uh, ladies, the second, uh, Titus chapter 2 talks about older women teaching the younger women, right? So ladies, you need to be investing in the other women uh, in the church. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 says that we should consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, but, uh, to, but to encourage one another all the more. It's a good reason why to go to a grow group, right? That's hard to do here on Sunday morning. So invest time and energy uh, to get to the grow group, even though sometimes it's not convenient and there's a lot of other things that are pulling at your time. Go to a grow group so that you can invest in these relationships. And, and 1 Peter 4, 9 talks about practicing hospitality, opening your home and having people into your home and what a, what a practical way uh, to nurture and to invest and to steward relationships than to have people in your home. 
and spend time with them. And so, uh, again, how are you doing stewarding those relationships, first and foremost, with your family members, your spouse, your children, your brothers, your sisters, uh, and then all those outside your home, but also likened to as your brothers and sisters, particularly in the church. And then lastly, this one kind of snuck up on me. I wasn't expecting to have this in the list when I started, but it was so clear to me uh, as I looked at different verses that mentioned the word steward um, was this last sphere of spiritual stewardship, and that is truth. The question is, how are we stewarding the truth that God has given us, or more specifically, the good news of the gospel that God has given us? Acts 1.8, Jesus said, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, even to the uttermost part of the earth. In other words, I've entrusted everything I've got for the last three years in you. Now you go and invest it in others. You need to steward that truth. You need to pass on that truth. Uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 16, we're familiar with that, where Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, uh, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, also to the Greek. Well, before that, he says, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So for, for, for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you. And he goes on. I love this in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16. Listen to the wording, the language he uses here. He says, for if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for I am under compulsion, for woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this voluntarily, I have a reward, but if, I, but if against my will, I have a stewardship entrusted to me. So Paul considered the, the gospel as a, as a gift that God had given him, and he needed to faithfully steward that. And to pass that on to others and to share that with others. And so you know Paul often likened himself to stewards, to a steward, a steward of the mysteries of God, a steward of the, the mystery of the church. Uh, Colossians 1.25, I love what he, what he says there. It's, it's probably my favorite verse about being a pastor. Colossians 1.25, he says, Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. And then in that same passage, Colossians 4, same book, uh, verse 5, conduct yourselves with wisdom to outward, to, to, toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person. I think that's talking about being ready to share the gospel that we would conduct ourselves with wisdom towards outsiders, towards unbelievers, and we would make the most of every opportunity that we have, right? That we would speak in a gracious way, right? That our words would be seasoned with salt. We talk about we're the salt of the earth, right? That, that we should be reaching out and so that we'll know how we should respond to each person. And so how you doing stewarding the gospel? God has given you the gift of the gospel. And uh, we can't just kind of keep that to ourselves. We need to share that with others, and so I think these are the six most important things that God has given us that he's entrusted to our care, and life is all about making the most of what God has given us, amen? And so these are the things that we need to make the most of. So how are you doing? Are you making the most of the time that God's given you? 
Are you making the most of the treasure that God has given you? Are you, are you making the most of the, the talents and the skills that God has given you? Are you making the most of that temple that God's given you? It may not be much, but are you doing the best you got with it, right? Um, how about the ties? Are you making the most of the relationships in your life? And are you making the most of the truth that God has given you? Someday you and I will stand before God and give an account for how well we managed these six things. And we'll be judged based on how faithfully we stewarded them. And I think being faithful is the key to doing life well and ensuring that we will hear God say someday, you done good. You done good. You were faithful. And as we pursue that at the beginning of this new year, let me just remind you that Jesus exemplified a life done well. He exemplified for us. He's the model. He's the the goal we're shooting for. He's the one we should kind of have out there as our our target, that we want to be like Jesus, right? But not only did he exemplify a life done well, he also earned for us a life done well. Did you get that? He didn't just exemplify. He didn't just show us how to do it. He earned it for us because he lived his life to perfection, something that none of us will ever be able to do. And so somebody had to do it, right, to be acceptable, to make us acceptable to God. Jesus did it for us. And so that's just a reminder that we cannot master life without a relationship with the master. And God never calls us to do something that he hasn't also given us the wisdom and strength to do it. Paul said in Colossians 1.29 that he labored, that he strived, okay, talking about his own effort, according to his power, according to Christ's power, which worked mightily within him. So we can't, we can't do this in our own strength. We can't do this in our own wisdom. Paul said, I can do all things through myself. No, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so ultimately what we're saying here is that we need God's grace desperately. We need God's grace desperately. And so in our effort, in all our effort, in all of our striving, in all of our excelling still more, right, we need to remember that it's all by the grace of God. 1 Corinthians 15, 10, Paul said, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Jonathan Edwards, the last of the great Puritans, he, he, he understood this concept of grace balanced out with, with human effort when it comes to our sanctification. And he wrote 70 resolutions as a young man, maybe 18, 19, 20 years old, wrote these amazing resolutions, 70 of them, that he was going to live the rest of his life by. And uh, after writing these resolutions, he wrote this, and this is really helpful. He said this, quote, being sensible that I am unable to do anything without God's help, I do humbly entreat him by his grace to enable me to keep these resolutions so far as they are agreeable to his will for Christ's sake. Let's pray. Father, we are sensible enough this morning to realize that our greatest effort done in our own strength will fail miserably. We've all experienced that. We've all made resolutions that we've not kept, and it's really because we did it, tried to do it in our own wisdom and our own strength, and we weren't relying on the strength you provide us in Christ. We weren't leaning on your grace.
Maybe we were doing it for the wrong reasons, had the wrong motives. Our motives were impure. It was all about our glory and not yours. And so, Lord, just help us, Lord, now as we long to be faithful stewards of these very specific areas in our lives that you've blessed us, you've given to us, you've, you've entrusted these things to us. And I just pray as we launch into a new year, Father, that we would all seek to be more pleasing to you. And Lord, that we would all have a desire to hear you say one day, well done, good and faithful servant. And that would just drive us and motivate us every day uh, just to, to go before you and to beg you for your grace to help us to be the people you want us to be. We ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen.